Continuing our studies of Hilchas Beis Abichira, we are now in the midst of chapter 6. We've learned about the notion of expanding sacred scrimmages, being able to make the city of Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh, larger, so that there is more space, more area in which special mitzvah can be performed. We also spoke about the notion of expanding the courtyard, the Azara of the Beit HaMikdash itself. Yesterday, I mentioned to you that although we do have notes, verses, a postcard from antiquity that's found in the book of Nehemiah, describing to us the ceremony of dedicating the holy city of Yerushalayim and its walls in the days of Ezra, we seem to have no indication whatsoever of the temple ever being expanded. And of course, today's question will be, was the Beis HaMikdash ever expanded? And was the city of Yerushalayim ever really consecrated during the time of the second Beit HaMikdash? Halacha Yudalat. The Rambam now says, and this is a ruling, Kol elu. In any place, which really is a euphemism for in any situation, where all of the aforementioned was not performed, and in this order. This order, of course, includes the notion of four components. A melech, a king of Israel. Urim v'tumim, the sacred breastplate functioning as a communications device. A sanhedrin. And we also talked about the idea of having the notion of a Navi, of a prophet. Now, anywhere where we didn't have all of this included, which would included having made an ask of the Urim Vitumim, the Kohen Godol, wearing that sacred breastplate that would light up with a divine response. And a Melech Yisrael, a king of the Jewish people, involved in making that ask and getting that answer, along with the Sanhedrin and prophets who would guide and direct us, the Rambam says, Ein Kiddush Gomor. That would be an act of or form of incomplete consecration, incomplete holiness. So what does this mean? I mean, this, is, um, this expression is problematic. Essentially, it means the area would not be thoroughly consecrated. So is it partially consecrated? How does that work? What kind of holiness are we able to achieve? The Maharit, in his commentary on the Rambam, says that this can be understood from similar statements which are made in the Mishnah that indicate that if there is an Azara, if there is an area of the Beis HaMikdash that was expanded but without the virtue of Melech, Urim Vitumim, Sanhedrin, and Novi, all four components, you would not be permitted to enter that area while in a state of ritual impurity However, at the same time, you would not be liable to bring a korban chatas, a sin offering, if you'd done so accidentally. And this then is the upshot. The Maharit says that it would be a kedusha, a sanctity, by dint of rabbinic ordination, but not biblically speaking. In the Uriah Shleimah, it says in this commentary, the Rambam, it would be ktsas kedusha. It would be as a mild measure of holiness would have been achieved, but not the absolute, total consecration that we seek.
Now, the, pr- the problem here, of course, is that we do have verses in the book of Nehemiah. We do have Ezra bringing these todot, he's bringing these offerings. He's, he's actively engaged in exactly the procedure and ceremony that we've been learning about over the last couple of days. So how does this mean when we say it's only niskadsha, it's only sanctified, a kedusha, a holiness, which was a drabanan? We know that there was no melech, we know there was no king, because the ruling power of the day was the Persian Empire. And the Judean settlement of Eretz Yisrael was essentially a province, a vassal state of Persia. So we couldn't have had a melech, and we know that the Urim Vetumim requires not just a functioning breastplate surficially, which means you've got the cloth and you have the gem-studded front in golden clasps, but rather that in the folds of that cloth there is a special parchment that activates, call it the battery, if you will. It never came back to the Jewish people. That went into hiding together with the Aron Kodesh, the Luchot, and the staff of Aaron, the jug of manna that Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu had put away, the staff of Aaron that miraculously blossomed, the tablets, the Luchot Habrit, the Decalogue, and the Ark, adorned by its cherubim, went into a secret catacomb, only to be discovered, not by raiders of any lost arks, but by Mashiach himself. So we didn't have it in the second base of Megdash. Says the Rambam, Responding to the obvious question, the fact that Ezra did in fact ordain this notion of two korban todot. What was he doing? If it didn't work, if it was ineffectual. Says the Rambam, It was a ceremonial act. It was as if they were going through the motions, recalling the idea and ideals of the sanctity of Yerushalayim as they had been in Salmonic times, but it's not actually halachically binding. It doesn't actually make it happen. And Rambam says, It was not through those actions that this area became sanctified and consecrated. For there was no king, nor communications device through the sacred breastplate. And that, of course, then begs the question. In the time of the second Beit HaMikdash, Korbanot were brought for 420 years. How'd they do that? Kodshim, sacrificial matter, edibles were eaten and consumed in the city of Yerushalayim. Was it only rabbinic? If Ezra's todot, if Ezra's ceremony did not, in fact, consecrate... So, how was this area sacredly consecrated? How did it work? Ah, says Rambam, the answer to that question is It was sanctified, consecrated as it were, through the efforts of King Solomon. Shehu, he was the one who brought the Korban Todot, who did exactly the very procedure we discussed. He was a Melech Yisrael. And he had received permission from God through the Urim Vitumim. But Kidesh Azara, he sanctified the area, the courtyard of the Beis Hamigdash, the Yerushalayim, and the city of Yerushalayim, Lashaton, 
for that period, and of course the Beit HaMikdash stood for 410 years, the Kidshan La'asid Lavo, he also sanctified it for the eras to come, the times to come, which would of course include the post-exile reality. So having in mind what would happen afterwards in the post-exile reality, Ezra did indeed sanctify the city and the temple. And because he had sanctified it, Shlomo HaMelech, pardon me, had sanctified it in his time for his period, for the first temple era, as well as the future eras, then in that case, we can comfortably say that the Beit HaMikdash was indeed sanctified. We can comfortably say the city of Yerushalayim was indeed the holy city by dint of biblical ordination because of Shlomo's actions. So when Ezra did what he did during the Chanukat, Chomot Yerushalayim, that is described in the book of Nehemiah in chapter 12, verses 27 to 40, when he went through the dedication of those walls, we would have to say that the procedure carried out by Ezra and Yechemiah was really a testimonial act, one that did not have actual halachic significance, at least not from a biblical perspective. And we're also forced to say that the testimonial had nonetheless been carried out in precise and exact detail as if they were actually consecrating the city. We must say that because after all, the Rambam is borrowing or paraphrasing the ideas from the Gemara which describes and leans on the Psukim in Nehemiah. And that's why the description of their procedure can necessarily demonstrate to us in halachic terms the actual dedication of the city, although it wasn't an actual dedication per se. Now, this, of course, is a very, very important and extremely relevant halacha in our day and age. And I should tell you that the ruling of the Rambam is broadly embraced by the vast majority of the Rishonim. This includes the Sefer Mitzvah's Godel, affectionately known as the Smag. It includes the Sefer Hatruma, the Sefer Hachinuch, the Rishon known as Ritva, the Tashbets, and the Tur in Yeridea's Simon Shimlamad Aleph basically embraces this ruling. The Chafetz Chaim, who wrote halacha, compiled halacha on areas which the Alphas had not concluded, which Rif had not rewritten in halacha, in the areas of Zvachim, also rules this way. The Ravid, a chief protagonist of the Rambam, argues that once the Beit HaMikdash had been destroyed, the Kedusha, the holiness, dissipated. Which means that according to the Ravid, if you enter the Temple Mount today and accidentally walk on the area where the Azara of the Beit HaMikdash stood, you would not biblically be violating its holiness and you would not be Chayv Karis. Of course, the Ravid then has to deal with the realities of the second Beit HaMikdash, which seem to be then entirely rabbinic. However, it must be noted that the Halacha does seem to follow the Rambam and virtually all of the Rishonim and the major achronim side with the Rambam on this, and therefore we believe that the Temple Mount is consecrated and holy, and must be treated with the greatest of reverence. If you're asking me, bad idea to go on the Temple Mount, even though we think we know where the Beit Hamikdash would have stood, what if we're mistaken? If you had a headache, would you take a Tylenol? If one of a thousand pills was laced with cyanide, I wouldn't. Why take the chance? And so. Unless we could be absolutely certain, and I don't believe anybody can ever be absolutely certain, it would not be a good idea. The Kedusha is still in full force and in play, both in the area of Harabayat, the Azorah, 
And of course, the city of Yerushalayim remains our holy home, our capital, the ground zero for Jewish spirituality, as all of us yearn, Bezrat Hashem, to be reunited very soon in Yerushalayim, in HaKodesh, to be purified, sanctified, and brought back into the Azara, perhaps the expanded Azara, Bezrat Hashem, that we will together have the privilege of seeing with the coming of Mashiach, Bimheda, will be Amenu Amen. Thank you, Thank you.